Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 55 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. Ash Dryden. Hi there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a special guest, uh, Jen Swanson. Hey. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Jen, for the folks who aren't familiar with your work? Sure. So I'm the creator uh, of communicationdiva.com, the podcast and sometimes blog. And my aim is to help people uh, deepen their relationships by improving their communication. And those are relationships both at work and at home. Awesome. So this story is going to sound a little bit familiar because we've had some other people that I met at New Media Expo that are part of the podcast mastermind. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I met Jen. It was up at uh, Cliff Ravenscraft's um, get-together at New Media Expo. And we chatted for quite a while about uh, communication and yeah. work and stuff. So I'm really excited to have you on the show because there were a lot of things that we talked about that really apply to the way that we deal with other people that we have to work with as freelancers. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to be here too. I, I remember having a, a great long conversation in that uh, in that uh, venue in that place, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. I, I'm not sure which area is the most important when you're trying to communicate to clients or prospects or other people, you know, related to the work you're doing. So I thought maybe we could just start with the people that have already hired us um, with okay. clients. Uh, do you have any tips that you want to give or should I kind of give you a scenario of, of things that I've seen that can cause problems for people that don't communicate well? Well, I can, I can start with one of the ones that, I mean, we, everyone could use um, more skill in me included, and that would be listening. I, I think that. What was that one again? We, <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah. Good one. <laughs> ah, you're quick. Yeah. I think that, People don't feel listened to in general. And, you know, how often is it that someone will sit there and, well, I mean, podcasters are different, (laughs) different creatures (laughs) because people do listen to us. But in general, how often is it that you get some time to just be listened to and be heard and and so I think improving upon listening skills and really really listening we have something called level three listening in some of the coaching that I do um, which means listening beyond words is very key and I think hearing people and and asking people to tell you what you can do for them rather than or what they need from you rather than what, you know, you telling them what you can do for them is a very important thing, especially in a business setting. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. So what what do you mean by listening beyond, I guess, just hearing what they're saying? Well, listening beyond words, I mean, it depends if you're in a face-to-face setting or you're in a, uh, on the telephone or, you know, there's, there's different mediums. And so it depends, um, on which one you're in as far as how well you can listen. If you're face-to-face, which is, you know, the best scenario, uh, listening beyond words means paying attention to not just the words they say, but everything that we call paralanguage. And paralanguage means everything around the words. So that would include the tone of voice, 
the speed in which they're speaking. It would include um, how loud or soft they're speaking. And it would also include body language. So it would be paying attention to little tiny shifts and movements in the person's face, how they're sitting, how they're holding themselves. You can tell an awful lot um, from, from all of those things and much more than just from what the words are that they're speaking. So that would be that would be the face-to-face scenario. If it was a telephone scenario, you know, sometimes it helps if you're really concentrating, you've got your eyes shut and you're listening <laughs> to the other person speak and uh, and paying attention again to the tonality and the speed and the inflections and and those clues that could give you more information than just the words that they're saying. It's a little more difficult on uh, on the computer as far as um, using email and that kind of thing because it's not always possible to get the tone right. I'm, I'm sure as I've experienced, you've probably experienced, um, you know, emails that have been miscommunications because you haven't been able to hear the tone. That's something that I, I've wondered about a lot because a lot of the, the conversations that I tend to have are in an online medium. Are there suggestions that you have to be more deliberate about the way that you're saying things or that you can kind of convey that message that they wouldn't get just from seeing your text? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, and exactly. We have developed, you know, those little happy face things, the emoticons. I think the reason why LOL was invented was because it allowed what couldn't be shown just with the words, right, in a text situation. So I think being either very clear about what you're saying and saying a little bit more uh, in, in a written form, you know, texting doesn't work that well that way, but but in a in a, a you know, communication as far as an email goes, being really careful and clear. And if you're going to make a joke, you might want to put in brackets something like, I'm joking. You know, I don't know that you would use a joke in in a business situation, but I think it's critical to try not to be sarcastic, to try not to be, uh, you know, funny if there is a possibility that what you've written might be misconstrued. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that. And I, I kind of like the idea of a bracketed tonality sort of thing. So you can kind of convey, I'm joking or, you know, whatever. But yeah. but yeah, I can definitely see at the same time, like the sarcasm being a problem uh, mm-hmm. where people would read it and not realize that, that the tone was intended to be sarcastic. And I've actually had that happen where I've been chatting with somebody and they say something and they're they're trying to be sarcastic and funny, but because you're in an IM it doesn't come across that way. Right. Another another thing that uh, can cause a lot of problems is the caps lock on the uh, on the keyboards. I, I remember having a, a back and forth email conversation with somebody about a, an event I was organizing. And I was emailing this woman and I realized she was at work at the time. And I got an email back that was all in capital letters that said, I am at work right now. I will email you when I get home. And then her name. And I thought, wow, she's really angry that I'm emailing her while she's trying to work and, uh, and she's yelling. 
And I felt terrible the rest of the day. And then I got home and I, my email to her was, I apologize if I was, you know, interrupting you at work, but you know, you didn't have to answer me kind of thing. I didn't say it like that. But anyway, she says, oh, absolutely not. She says, I, I always accidentally hit that caps lock button and it was, that was the case. <laughs> so, you know, I hear I was feeling bad the rest of the day that I made her upset <laughs> and it wasn't that at all. That's kind of funny. One one thing that I've noticed, and if we go back to talking over the phone or over Skype or what have you, and, and Skype really isn't a substitute for being in person because what you usually get is a webcam full of somebody's face. So you get facial mm-hmm. expressions, but that's it. Um, mm-hmm. You can't see their body language or anything else. But in, in either case, all I really get out when you talk about listening, uh, listening beyond the words is, you know, I get a sense of what's important to them. And whether or not they're happy with me. And that's usually the extent of what I'm getting beyond what they're actually saying. Mm-hmm. Are, are there and other that's thi- important. Are there other things that I should be listening for that I'm missing in that kind of communication? You- well, you want to you wanna listen for pauses and hesitation because sometimes, you know, silence can be uh, the cliche, louder than words. And it could be that the person's just thinking, but it, it could also be that they're hesitating. And and I, I do put an emphasis on tone because I, I really think that it, it is hard to hide a tone of anger or of upset uh, or of doubt. It's hard to hide that unless you're deliberately, you know, forcing yourself to be, oh, okay, no problem. Uh, but But if you know the person, that's one thing. If you don't know the person, it might be a little bit more tricky. But one one of the exercises I use with my students around listening beyond words, I I teach human relations skills at a college here in Vancouver part of the time. And one of the things I do is I use the sentence, I want to go home now. And I get them to say it with a whole bunch of different tonalities. So, you know, say it like you're angry, say it like you're sleepy, say it like you're super excited, you know. And they, they practice with each other and it's the same exact words but the tone is a completely different communication. And you might have experienced this, you know, I don't know how it is where you are, but, you know, people say, how are you every time they see you uh, when you're walking down the hall. And, and I've had the experience where someone's walked by and said, hey, how are you? And they kept walking. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, they don't give a, you know, whatever about what how I am at all. It's just a greeting. It's not even, you know, they could care less. They just walked right by me. Um, you know, somebody says, how are you? And you can say, I'm fine, thanks. Or you can say, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally different, uh, totally different tonality and a completely different message. So, I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I think, I think there's, there's something key there, and uh, and if we're really actually listening for all of those things, then we'll get more of the communication than if we're just distracted doing other things. Kind of related to listening, and something that I've been struggling with a lot is I I tend to pause and uh, pause and hesitate a lot in uh, the things that I say, and when I do that, a lot of people will jump in and start talking, so I can't finish a thought. And just kind of interrupting in general. And I, I've had a hard time kind of finding a way to politely like motion to people that I wasn't done yet or let me finish what I'm saying. Yeah, motioning may not work. It might it might end up that you have to actually be assertive and say, 
hang on, I'm not finished. You know, I, I just let me finish my thought. This is, you know, if I, if I don't finish my thought, I'm going to lose it. Let me finish my thought and then I'll be quiet and you can talk. Uh, I mean, it depends on the context as well, but interrupting is one of the biggest challenges for people in communication. And you know, when you have to list on a resume, your strengths and your weaknesses, that is one that seems to be uh, a huge weakness for people in the communication skills area is interrupting because sometimes your brain is going faster and you want the other person to stop talking so you can jump in and, and give your opinion on whatever it is. But if we're, if we're doing that, we're not actually listening, right? Right. So yeah. I would say in, in that case, then it would be probably uh, best to straight up say, Actually, I'm just, I'm thinking I might not get everything I'm trying to say out in, in one, you know, but just, just give me a minute. Let me, you know, think this through, say what I want to say, and then it'll be your turn. Well, one thing I do is I actually verbalize like the hmm or, you know, the, the non-vocal stuff just so they can hear like I'm still working through an idea, like the stuff you don't want to do when you're presenting. Like I actually add that in <laughs> just to kind of have a, a buffer zone to kind of, you know, while my brain's going through it. Yeah, and that's fine too. I, I know that, yeah, you don't want to do that when you're up uh, presenting, although you can do some physical um, some physical gestures to indicate to an audience that you are thinking, you know, just, just pausing, looking down for a moment, um, you know, not making eye contact with people. There are signals that you can give an audience that you are, you are thinking about a response before you make it. What but if, yeah, that's that's a good idea too. Sorry. So so what if you want to interrupt? It, it seems like sometimes, depending on the context, it's a little bit rude, even even though they kind of cut you off maybe because they thought you were done talking. And sometimes it's totally fine because you mm -hmm. have more to add and they realize, okay, well, he wasn't done. How do you pick up on that where it's going to be a problem and when it's not? Well, I, I guess it depends on who the person is and why you're interrupting, right? What your motivation is. If, if you have to impart something that's vitally important to the person and can't wait for a couple of seconds or a minute, um, then, you know, sometimes if you're face to face with the person, you can put your hand on their arm and say, hang on a sec, hang on. I just want to say this one thing and then I'll let you carry on. Uh, it depends on the person, you know, and, and again, what it is you're interrupting them for. Uh, I worked for 23 years in the hospital setting and it was um, uh, very often that I had to go and interrupt people in conversation because a doctor would be on the phone or there would be something going on that uh, needed urgent interrupting and uh, and I got pretty good at doing that but there were other times when you know it wasn't going to be appropriate to do it so I guess that's something to think about too. Mm -hmm. It also depends on the person like you said like some people I know go into long drawn out stories and you want to interrupt them because the story really isn't the important thing it's the concept of the story and so instead of sitting there patiently for 20 minutes while they finish their story you can interrupt them and try to summarize it and try to move on before everyone gets bored and disconnects. It's also yeah. easier to do that to people who are aware that they do that. And mm -hmm. so most of the time, if they're aware that they do that and they're open to that, then when you interrupt them, they're like, oh, yeah, I tend to do that. Here, here, let me get to the point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But not everybody is so self-aware. That's true. <laughs> that is very true. 
<laughs> I know I have a relative. Sorry, I hear we're talking about interrupting, and I'm interrupting. How rude! Uh, I have a relative. Yeah, how rude of me! Um, I have a relative who repeats herself continuously. She'll tell me the same story three times in the same phone conversation, and I I've become very almost. It feels almost rude, but I've said, you know, you already told me that. Uh, you already told me that <laughs> because it drives me crazy. Yeah, I have relatives that do that too, but they have senile dementia, so. It just happens naturally. Mm-hmm. I, I want to kind of move on to something else that I've run into with some clients more than others. And I, I try and help them become better communicators. But at the same time, really what it is, is I, I want to know what's important. And I want to get enough detail so that I can do what they need me to do. And I'm not always good. Most of the time, I'm pretty good about getting the information that I need because I, I can think far enough ahead to do it. But sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I don't always get what I need. And sometimes it's really hard to get people to tell me what they need. Are, are there good techniques for exploring that and getting people to, you know, understand what you need and why you need it? Yeah, I think what I'm, I'm hearing you uh, talk about is values and, and what people value. So, or well, what- so specifically in software... Um, somebody wants a certain set of features in their software, for example. And so I I need to know what's important. I need to know why, you know, a lot of times I need to know why they want that particular feature in there. And I need to know any implementation details that actually matter to them. Uh, Sometimes, you know, they just want something that does X and Y. And so you just build X and Y. And sometimes they really care about specific details. And so I'll go start building it and find out later that they actually cared about some of the implementation details that I didn't ask about because I just assumed that they wanted it done like something else that I had seen or they had seen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would think that that would be, uh, you would be asking them what they value and whatever it is you're trying to build them, what what things they value, what things they need. And, and one of the ways to ask, uh, to one of the techniques to use to ask those questions is to use open-ended questions, which you're probably familiar with, right? Shall I? That wasn't an open-ended question because I would answer it yes or no. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So anything that is uh, that is not a yes/no, which would be a closed question, would be an open-ended question, and and so constructing or, or dreaming up some open-ended questions that would get to the core of the value of what it is that you're you're creating for the other person. So you know how do you envision this particular tool working for you, or how you know what is important for you. Uh, that this thing that I'm building does, you know, those kinds of questions um, that I, would would be more than a yes, no, more than I want it to do this, this, and this. You want to know why. I, I really like that. And I would also venture maybe uh, what have you seen that is similar to what you want and how is it different? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're getting at um, at what they need, what they want, but the question there is why. Mm-hmm. Right. So what do they want to be able to do with this and why is that important to them? Yeah, we have really with my uh, current client, which tomorrow's my actually my last day with them. But, uh, you know, they they have long drawn out planning meetings and uh, we've been trying to train them to actually do that and just give us the why and the the details that matter. And um, it, it has taken quite a long time because what they tend to do is they tend to come and tell us 
what exactly to build. And so mm -hmm. they're doing software design and database design. And ultimately, you know, we'll come back and, and get down to the why and we'll give them a better solution than the one they came up with. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it becomes really important to get down to that why as opposed to just saying, okay, so you want a blue fence. You know, what they really want is a way to keep a dog in the backyard. Exactly. And I think, I think uh, sometimes people have a hard time expressing that the answer to the why if uh, if they're not asked in a particular way so so figuring out the best way to ask for that again using you, you know using a variety of different questions would be I think key are there any other good ways of doing that besides open-ended questions uh, I, I it depends on how much time you have to invest I guess <laughs> with this <laughs> client right uh, getting to know uh, what other things are important in this person's life right so so what else do they do who is this person and uh, a little bit more in depth as to okay they want this product but what what do they do for fun what's wh who is this person when they're not doing this job that I'm doing for them and what are some of the things that are important to this person that, you know, maybe don't have anything to do with this, but somehow might relate? Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize this. So I, I like to get to know my clients, but I typically am not getting to know them on any kind of personal level because I think it might inform the project. It's usually just because it, it's easier to work with somebody if I if I know them better. But that makes a lot of sense because their worldview is going to impact what the the why and the what that they want. Yeah. Yeah, values and beliefs are huge in 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 communication. You know, sometimes we don't understand somebody else because we have no idea what a what they believe, what they value, and those are two different things. So, you know, if you if you can get to some of that, you don't have to get to an extensive exhaustive list, but but even if you can get to some of it, then that might help you to understand who this person is and what they need in a, in a, a more deep way. That makes sense. And that's I also try to find like the background of them. So, if the person I'm talking to is like has an MBA, you know, lives and breathes business, I might communicate with them differently than someone who came out of software, say it was like an electrical engineer and they worked their way up and now they're a project manager. And so that's, you know, they have different history, different experiences, different background. And so I can communicate with them differently. Like the electrical engineer, I could probably get more technical with and I can, you know, try to give them stories and analogies based on electrical engineering versus the business person. I would have to be more on the business side, like talk about like Henry Ford or some of the past stuff. And so I dig a little bit just to find out kind of where they came from, um, especially early on in their career, because that's going to that's gonna basically shape how they are now and try to use that to kind of communicate with them easier. So if it's like a concept they don't understand completely, you know, I can kind of refer to it in their own terms. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I, I do that sometimes with uh, with in coaching. Uh, you know, if I know this person is a technical person or is somebody who needs, you know, statistics or something in their hand because they're analytical, then I'll give them an exercise that's on a paper, you know, and draw me a pie and put this and this and this in this pie and they'll go away holding this piece of paper. Uh, and that is far more valuable to them than some conceptual you know, creative thing that might not fit their personality at all. So, so yeah, getting to know who the person is that you're trying to serve, I think is, uh, is a really important piece of being able to communicate with them more clearly and more effectively. 
I think that's a great point too, because a lot of uh, a lot of people that might feel I don't want to say threatened, but maybe intimidated by technical knowledge. And if you're bringing them technical information that's not at their level, a lot of people won't bring that up to you. They'll just kind of nod their head, you know, through the entire process, and then you get to the end or maybe to some kind of milestone point and realize that they you haven't done a good job of actually communicating what's going on at a level that they'll understand. Right, and they haven't either because they have just pretended to understand everything you were saying and walked away and probably went home and said, I had no clue what she was talking about. Right. right? Which happens in the medical field all the time because, you know, people, you know, the medical people might be using uh, medical terminology, medical language, and the person is too shy, too embarrassed, too... Uh, um, you know, intimidated to say anything and they're standing there nodding, uh-huh, 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 and they go home to their partner and what did the doctor say? I have no idea. I just have to take these pills, right? It happens all the time and it's, you know, partly it's a non-assertive reaction um, to, to not be able to say, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Please talk, you know, English or whatever your language is. Can I ask a question yeah. related to this? Um, so, I'm one of those people that's not shy. Go figure. I'm a podcaster and, and all this stuff. Okay, so so I have no problem, you know, asking myself. So I go to the doctor. He says something to me, and I'll look at him and just say, "Look, assume I'm an idiot and tell me what's wrong." Mm -hmm. And and then I get an explanation that I understand. Maybe that means I'm an idiot. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it means you're assertive. It's good. <laughs> so so the, the the problem that I run into with some of my clients is is the same thing that we're talking about here, where where I'm talking at a level that another professional would understand, but not at a level that they would understand. So how do I tell them or help them to pick up on the cues that they should give me that are effectively saying? talk to me like an idiot. And and I'm not saying that my clients are idiots. What I'm saying is is they have to give me a cue that says, look, you know, talk to me like a lay person. Talk to me that like a person that's not a professional that doesn't deal with this every day. So so they have to do that, but maybe it starts with a question from you, which would be a question something like, okay, I have three different ways of explaining this. I can talk to this, t tell you this, like somebody who has never heard of this before and is a complete layperson. You know, if you've got a medium, you know, sort of middle level understanding of this stuff, but you're not entirely sure, I can talk that way. And, and if you're a techie, then I can talk to you in technical language. You know, how would you like me to deliver this information? Yeah, that that makes some sense. The problem that I run into sometimes is that I'll stop and say, so did you understand? Or I'll try and ask them questions to make sure they understood. And a lot of times they'll give me enough information to make me think that they understood or they'll just say, yeah, I got it. And it turns out not to be the case. Right. And sometimes people are embarrassed if you ask them if they understand because, of course, they should understand their intelligent you know, adults who should be able to get this stuff and mm -hmm. it would be embarrassing to say, I don't understand. So that in a way is putting them on the spot, although I understand why, you know, it might be easier in the end and, and quicker and more efficient to just be upfront about, you know, I can talk about this at a developer level or a, you know, yeah. a hobbyist level or somebody who's, you know, completely brand new to any of this yeah and, 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 and yeah but sometimes i'm i'm trying to talk at the lower level and i'm still not simplifying it enough 
Right. And so giving the person permission to say, okay, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Back yeah. up for a second can also be helpful. You know, sometimes people just need permission. So if you're not understanding what I'm talking about as I'm going along, I don't want you to walk out of here not understanding what we've been talking about. I really want to make sure that I'm being clear and I'm being clear in a way that's helpful for you. So if at any point in our conversation, I say something technical or something that doesn't make any sense, please, please stop me. One of the things I also do is whenever I have client meetings or a client and I are discussing something, I take notes as we go. So I'll kind of put, you know, this is a decision that we made and these are the points why we made this decision. And then I email that to them after the meeting. So then if they have any follow-up questions or if there's anything that wasn't clear, because a lot of times people don't realize that there's something that was kind of vague to them that maybe I didn't fully explain. They don't realize until, you know, two or three hours later. So it kind of gives them the opportunity to look over and, and see what actually happened. And if there's a certain point that doesn't make sense, then there's a like non-confrontational way to say, hey, I didn't really understand this. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I usually also, on top of that, I try to add something to the effect of, um, you really need to understand this because if I, I don't want you to pay me for two hours of me doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and this this relationship isn't going to, you know, it, it, it's not going to be as um, effective as it could be if um, if we're not completely understanding each other and what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to help you, and uh, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm speaking in a way that's comprehensible to you. So, you know, please let me know if there's anything I can clarify. Yeah, I'm going to sideline this a little bit because I, I, I want to ask Ash a question. How do you take notes on your uh, client meetings and stuff? Because that's something that I, I, I usually do really, really shorthand notes that I can kind of make sense of later. But is there a good way to do that so that you can get all the details that are important to the client? Yeah, I actually, yeah, I use um, Google Docs. And I actually, at the beginning of the meeting, I share the document with them. So I can be taking notes while they're talking. And then they can be taking notes while I'm talking. So it's a collaboration. So if there's anything after the fact that, you know, more detail needs to be added in somewhere, they can add it or I can add it. And then that document kind of lives forever. I like that. I really like that idea. And what you're doing in effect is you're taking minutes, <laughs> like yeah. minutes of a meeting, right? Minutes of your, your and, and then usually those have to be approved uh, at the next meeting. So that's a great idea. That sounds so enterprisey and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I usually look at it more as a collaboration than, <laughs> and it, it seems to, to itch less when I say it that way. <laughs> I just I just have to poke fun. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the idea because then if there's something that I write down in the notes that they feel like they have to amend, they can just do that. And then I have whatever it is that they put in there because it was that important. Yep. Yep. I don't share my notes anymore, but I've used like a mind map before, which is kind of nice just because then you can have like the higher level topic and then drill down into it. Um, and what I'd done with a couple of clients is basically we would have multiple meetings. So each meeting would get its little note. And so at a glance, I can look back at all of our previous notes, you know, if we need to refer back to decisions and I can still keep taking new notes, but I don't, I haven't shared that with clients just because, uh, most of the time they weren't reviewing and didn't find value in the notes. 
Yeah, there's actually utility out there that allows you to have two people editing a mind map at the same time, just like you can do with Google Google Maps or Google Maps, Google Docs. <laughs> it's called MindMeister. It's it's a paid service if you want to collaboratively edit a document, but it is another option if if you prefer that way. I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, um if there aren't any other any other things we want to add on this, I I want to move on to uh prospects. And mm-hmm. I want to specifically tell a real short story. Um, I drove up to Park City, Utah uh, last week. And incidentally, I got food poisoning from having lunch with them <laughs> up there. But uh, besides that, um, it seemed like they weren't quite sure what they wanted. And so I, I kept trying to ask them open-ended questions and leading questions to see if, you know, if they would object to anything that I was you know, kind of leading them down the path toward to get an idea because they weren't sure if they wanted an employee or a contractor. They weren't sure what technologies they wanted to use. They really weren't sure uh, what the full scope of the project was. How do you how do you get people around to the point where they can actually give you enough detail for you to say, well, yes, then absolutely I can help you do whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> so it sounds like the person was uh, using you as a bit of a brainstorming session. Um, if they were, it wasn't very effective because I didn't get very many direct answers of any kind. <laughs> from, um, <laughs> huh. So, so one of the things sometimes when people are trying to imagine what it is they need, one of the, the questions that sometimes can be asked is if, you know, if, if time and money were of no consideration, what, what are you dreaming about? You know, what is, what do you envision? Uh, this being, whatever this happens to be, and, uh, you know, forget any restrictions, forget anything, what is it? And then once you get some kind of a description, hopefully, if they give you something, um, then, okay, now now what from that can we work with? Hmm. That's a good one. Obviously, you know, I didn't ask him that. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, it, it can be, you know, the person just wants to think out loud, and if you can help them think out loud, then maybe you can come up with some kind of a, a starting place. But yeah, it can be a definite challenge if you know the person has no idea what it is they want, um, but they're they're taking up your time, and uh, and it could be a chance to do some of the relationship building and finding out about the other person and what their values are again, to then sort of start to formulate a plan. Yeah, I don't I don't do it that often, but sometimes. Uh, with a very non-technical client, if I'm asking them, like, what features do you want? And I get, like, basically a blank stare. I'll say, okay, who's going to use the system? And they'll say, okay, uh, our bookkeeper will. Okay, so walk me through your bookkeeper's typical day. And basically have them tell a story of, you know, how their business works, how their workflow works. And, you know, I'm taking as many notes as I can. And from that, I can kind of figure out, like, what the features and stuff are. But that's a very roundabout way to figure out what they need or, like, what, you know, where software can plug into. Um, I've done that when I make my own products just because I know which areas I can skip over. But, you know, you, you have to put a lot of time into kind of the discovery and figuring that out. Yeah, and sometimes it comes down to a person's learning style too, right? If they are uh, a visual learner, then then they see stuff. If they're an auditory learner, you know, they might want to just, 
hear stuff and hash it out and dream about it and think about it. And it can be tiring and exhaustive (laughs) and take a long time, but probably the time up front is worth it so that you've got, you know, exactly what the person wants by the time you get to the end, rather than just guessing and, and imagining. Yeah, and that's true because I know, uh, I don't, I can't pronounce it, but when people, their learning styles like touching and moving things around, I know those kind of people work really good with giving them like paper prototypes or kind of a, a website that you can click through stuff but doesn't actually do much um, just because they can, in a way, feel how the stuff's going to work together. And that's another technique that I've used. Yeah, kinesthetic learners. Yeah, I can't pronounce yeah. that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So moving around and touching things are actually, you know, walking around if, you know, if there's a space to look at or whatever it is you're doing. But yeah, so, so figuring out a bit about learning style of the person uh, could be useful too. I know there's absolutely no point for me to sit down and read a manual for any technology, you know, technical thing that I bring into the house because I hate manuals, right? (laughs) And I probably would learn a lot faster how to program my telephone uh, from make, you know, each handset playing a different tune if I had the manual and I would read it. But, you know, I'd rather just push buttons and play with it until it does something. And, uh, and that's just the way I am. So, so, you know, everyone has a different style that way. Yeah, I do like the idea of using props, you know. So wh- whether you're just drawing them on a piece of paper or drawing them on paper and then letting them move them around or even click through them. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever whatever method that works to communicate more clearly what it is they want you to do is the one to try and go with. And if, you know, if, if handing them a sheet of specs is not going to, it makes their eyes glaze over, then you know you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, I've also done whiteboard and then, you know, you take a picture with your phone of the whiteboard if you're in the same room kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So um, we've we've talked about communicating with the, the prospect or client to get features and things like that. How do you communicate to the client that you're the right person for the job? <laughs> uh, well, I would. Uh, you mean after they've they've uh, had conversations with you already, or? Yeah, typically, oh. typically the way that it works is I'll sit down with somebody and I'll you know, I'll spend a half hour, an hour, or maybe a little longer, depending, just figuring out what they want, what they need. And then, mm-hmm. and then toward the end, if I haven't convinced them just by helping them do the discovery, because sometimes that's enough. And they're like, well, obviously, you know enough about this to help me figure it out. And you understand it well enough to implement it. And then they'll just hire me. But sometimes they kind of need that little extra, okay, well, clearly, now that we know what you need, I'm the right person for you to hire. Um, and, and I need to communicate that well to them so that they really understand that I get what they need and that I can do it. Okay, so so instead of telling them that the, you're the right person, uh, my first in- instinct would probably be to say, as far as relationship building goes and rapport and all of that, um, I'm feeling really comfortable with taking on this this project. How are you feeling about working with me? You know, uh, you know. Can you see yourself working with me? Can you see yourself um, engaging with uh, with my company, my product, what it, whatever it is I'm doing? You know, I'm feeling good about this. I think that uh, we could have a, a a great working relationship together. I'm game. How about you? 
a lot of it is kind of subconscious too. Um, so if if it's you and somebody else that they are kind of looking at to choose for a job and all of your mm-hmm. skills and experience are kind of similar, what I try to do is just be the most personable person they've ever met. I want it to I want it to make it seem like I'm going to be the most fun professional person they've ever worked with. So I smile a lot, I laugh a lot, and just try to be like somebody that they would enjoy working with. Well, because because a lot of it has to do again with relationship, right? So if they like you, if they if they think you're fun and professional and and you know your stuff, but you've made some kind of a personal connection with them in some way, you know, you talked for five minutes about something that they like, they value, they like, you know, particular sports or whatever it is. If you've if you've built some kind of a rapport in your in your conversations, uh, discover that you have something in common. You know, of course, as long as it's not fake, but but that kind of thing, then people tend to gravitate toward people that they have relationship with. You know, um, I, I um, check, you know, Cliff, of course, uh-huh. and, uh, and Cliff sells a product package for podcasting on his website. And his product package is more expensive than if you went and bought all of the pieces individually from, you know, different places. But people buy it from him consistently because of the relationship they develop with him. And, and so, to me, I think that's a big part of, you know, who do you trust? Uh, you know, do you like this person? Do you trust them? Yes, they have all of the skills, but, you know, the emotional intelligence stuff sometimes is, is even more key. It's funny, too, how often we tend to overlook that. And by we, I mean sometimes me. And uh, just, you know, I, I get down in the weeds and I start thinking, okay, well, I've, I've got to demonstrate to them that I have the capability to do this and that they can rely on me to do it. And sometimes I forget about the, oh, well, you know, this is this is a guy that I would go fishing with over the weekend, too. Yeah. Yeah kind of thing. I I like talking to him. And so I like talking to him every week as my tech guy. Right. Right. And we have something in common. And, you know, when we're not talking techie stuff, we can talk, you know, flies or lures or whatever kind of fishing you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't fish much. That was just an an example. Oh, yeah. But but golf, maybe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's finding it's finding a commonality and finding something that you can, you know, Um, I tell a story, again, back at the hospital where I used to work, about a doctor who was um, absolutely amazing technically. He was a specialist, and he would come into the intensive care unit where I was working, and he would be very technically good as a doctor, but he had absolutely zero communication skills. Instead of walking in and saying to the nurse, hey, how was your weekend or something, he would walk in and say, you know, can I have the, you know, chemistry results from blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and people were afraid of him. They were scurrying about trying to get him the technical information that he needed. And not once did anybody connect with him on a human level because he hadn't made the effort to do that. I don't even know if he knew how. You know, and so, you know, stuff started being ugly when, when that doctor was coming, people would roll their eyes and, oh, I better get all the, you know, results back before he asked me hard questions. And there was absolutely no rapport going on. And, uh, and it was really kind of sad. So how does the stereotypical introverted uh, code geek develop skills like that? Like me. (laughs) Assertive skills. 
it's practice and it's it's practicing on unsuspecting people right <laughs> so <laughs> practicing talking to random people that you don't even know so you know you're walking you're taking the bus or walking down the street or in the store and making small talk with people it's just practicing putting yourself out there in a non-technical personable way and uh <laughs> see what happens <laughs> but yeah. it is work right it's developing a skill set that is um, a challenge for people who aren't gregarious, assertive people to begin with. And there's lots of people like that out there. So I was one of, a, of them. It's kind of a 10,000 <laughs> hours thing like uh, like coding or, or other skills. Yeah, it's a skill. Definitely communications are a skill. And I, I call it a practice because I don't think you can become an expert at it. I think everybody, it doesn't matter if you have a five-year degree or whatever, uh, I, I still think it's a practice. You have to use it every day. And even somebody who is, quote unquote, an expert can mess up royally. So I think it's an ongoing uh, skill set that needs continuous practice. And every once in a while, we do a bad job. You know, you, you can't listen perfectly 100% of the time. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's impossible. But if you can try and do it, more often than not, then you'll be ahead of the game. Well, one thing I've heard from clients uh, who hire a lot of freelancers, their biggest complaint with freelancers is almost never technical. It's always the personality or uh, the social skills. Like, you know, they might hire a freelancer, the freelancer will basically disappear, not communicate with them, and then a month later show up with all the work done. And they, they, they told me, like, we'd rather have someone take two months but tell us every week how things are going or get on the phone with us and just, you know, talk and have some banter because they, they said they're hiring people. They're not hiring work that's done. And because they get people for the long term, like this, this client, I worked with them, I think for three or four years straight, you know, it's not a, you know, we just need this code and that's it. It's like, we, we want to work with people that we can rely on, that we can trust and that we can give larger and larger projects to and know that they're going to get it done and get it done the way that we need it. Yeah, and that's that's just absolutely true. Daniel B. Goleman, the guy who wrote uh, Emotional Intelligence, talks about the people that succeed in, in professional life. They can all have the same technical skills, but the ones that succeed and, and become um, you know, all that they dream to be are the people that play well with others. And, and so if you can't play well with others, uh, it doesn't matter how brilliant the technical part of what it is you do is, the connecting with the other person that you're trying to serve is going to suffer if, uh, if there isn't some humanity involved, right? It's, it's interesting that you say that. We, uh, on Ruby Rogues, we talked to Joe O'Brien a month ago or something about, um, about people personal relationships in, in programming and things and, um, you know, kind of the people part of the, the programming problem. And, um, it was interesting cause he, he pointed out that, uh, given the option between the, the extremely talented technical person and the person who got along well with people and had empathy for the people on their team, he would take the person that had empathy every time. Yeah. And it is really interesting how, um, again and and this is something that i think we've all seen as programmers is that a lot of times the the dysfunction in the code reflects the dysfunction among the programmers writing the code yeah 
There's a saying in, in uh, the educational world that is you can't teach the task if the relationship is suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I cannot walk into a classroom of students that are ticked off at me for whatever reason, you know, giving them an exam too soon or whatever. Uh, they, they're not going to learn anything if the relationship isn't, you know, uh, isn't a good one or isn't at least a working one that we can, we can go forward with. Um, and, and that is so true in, in so many cases. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, we're, we're kind of uh, getting close to this, so I'm going to ask it, how do you communicate that you screwed something up or how do you communicate about something that you screwed up? I try to do it ASAP. As soon as, soon as I know that I've screwed up, I want to go to whoever it is that's affected and and say look I've I've completely screwed up. Um I apologize. How do I fix it? How do I make it better? And you know, I I've, I've I've had examples of things that I've screwed up and uh and it always 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 comes out better if you go immediately to the person that you have to talk to and apologize and say okay, now how are we going to fix this in, in a collaborative kind of a way? And um, that, that's, that's basically how I deal with it. Yeah, that's more or less what I do. The, the other question then is, how do you tell somebody else that they screwed up? <laughs> well, I guess it depends on, on, on who it is. Um, I, would, uh, I would be careful as far as the words you use, the language you use. But if you're giving somebody feedback, there are a couple of... Uh, of um, sort of guidelines. One of them is to ask the person if they're ready to receive feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So you ask the person if they're ready to receive it. Make sure your context is okay. You're not in front of a whole bunch of other people. You're somewhere where it's private uh, or you give them some kind of, uh, you know, a warning. I'd like, I'd like to speak to you about, you know, an issue. Do you have some time tomorrow or whatever? So, so give them, um, ask permission, give them a little bit of, um, a warning, uh, make sure your context is right. And then share your experience of the situation using I language. So uh, making sure you're not saying you've screwed up, but you know, I, I noticed that this is what happened. I'm wondering if you can tell me what, what went wrong. Um, so it's, it's the I language is, is non-accusatory. It's non-blaming. It's stating your experience of what has happened and maybe even how it's affected you. And, uh, and then asking the person to tell you their experience of what's happened and then collaboratively together, how are you going to go forward? Nice. That, that's nice. I like that. So, so one last question that I want to ask, and this, this has more to do with the community as a whole, and I'm going to ask this without really going into some of the issues that are still out there surrounding it, okay. but there are some difficult topics that have uh, come to the forefront within different programming communities, mostly surrounding uh, diversity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're, they're hard to talk about under certain circumstances, um, especially because people are very deeply emotionally involved in the discussion. So right. how do you have a constructive conversation there without making the situation more difficult? Because people are so emotionally entrenched one way or the other. 
So is this a conversation one-on-one -on -one with somebody else or is this a, in a group setting? It's, it's kind of a conversation at large over social media and other places. Hmm. Okay, because social media is always hard to have hard conversations through. Yeah. <laughs> Again, because it's uh, usually text and not uh, the tone is, is an issue. Yeah, it's social I, media and then spilled out into certain people's blogs and yeah. I guess again coming if if you're wanting to put something out there that's in a written format um is giving your experience of again you know rather than saying this person said this that person said this in my experience, this is how I see this situation. And again, I'm using I language because I can only talk about me. These are my thoughts. These are my feelings. This is why. And being pretty, pretty clear about that. Uh, that would be, that would be a more challenging situation than, than having a hard conversation one on one, I think, with somebody. Mm -hmm. But the way to stay true to your own integrity and true to, you know, to not come off looking like you're, you're preaching to somebody else would be to, to just talk about yourself and your thoughts and your feelings. Um, because feelings are feelings and you can't be faulted for your feelings. People might not agree with you, but feelings are, they just exist. Right. And so, you know, you, you can't say, you, you know, people can't argue with your feelings. They might not agree with them, but uh, that, that would be what I would say. That's a little bit of a, that's a, that's quite a, a challenging situation if it's something that, so here's a question. So you want to try and solve this conflict or, and, uh, or, or, or I don't what know is if, your, I don't know if I want to solve the conflict, but. I, I would like to see people be a little bit more understanding of each other. And I, I think mm -hmm. some people do this really well and other people don't that are involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I, I, it just, it just makes me sad that some people get so emotionally involved that they actually say things that, you know, are damaging as opposed mm -hmm. to just furthering the conversation. And so um, I, I guess I would just like to explore, you know, how, how do we, how do we express our feelings even when we're really angry without, you know, causing damage to other people. Well, yeah. again, and, and it's, without... it's a hard question, I know, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing this in a written format, it would just be basically spilling your own guts about your take on the experience of the situation. And, you know, this is what I, how I feel, this is what I see. And, and exactly what you just said to me, it makes me sad that, you know, we, we aren't respecting each other when we're offering our opinions. Everybody has you know, beliefs and opinions and feelings. And it, it makes me sad when, um, when we're trampling over each other's feelings over this issue, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. you right. know, there's always going to be people that do these. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yeah. I, I recognize that. And, you know, anyway, I, I'm just, you know, hoping that, you know, we can communicate better about this stuff because it is important, but mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I, I think we're pretty much at, at, at our time limit. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to ask or add to any of this conversation before we go into the picks? There's one thing. It's more just like a caution. Uh, I work with a lot of international clients. And when you do that, you have to take into account like culture, different ways, like they might have learned English, stuff like that. And so you really, I know you need to be really clear and, you know, no sarcasm, no jokes, none of that yep. stuff, like cut out your jargon. 
Um, yeah. I'm just kind of saying that because I know a lot of people just, you know, will treat like an international client the same way. And you have to be very careful because I've seen a lot of misunderstandings come across because you might say it and mean it in one context. Well, they're interpreting it in a different context. And that's, that's like a huge minefield because that person, even if they kind of go through like, oh, well, am I misinterpreting this? And they ask their friend who's also in the same country or has the same culture, they're all going to agree. And so it's, it's really, really hard. And so what I always tend to do is if I'm working with international clients, I kind of boil down my statements to be very direct, very precise, and repeat myself in different ways multiple times so that I can be sure that they are actually getting the idea behind my communication and not just the communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, one, that's wise. One other thing that I've done with them, and this isn't a bad technique even for native English speakers, but um, sometimes I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not completely sure that what you're saying and what I'm saying are the same thing. So can you just explain to me what I just said to you so that I know that you get it? And a lot of times they'll, they'll recognize that what I'm really trying to do is just exactly that, make sure they understand. And uh, then when they explain it back, um, they're going to explain it back in a, in very simple language, you know, because their vocabulary is much more limited than mine because I speak English natively. And so I'll, I'll get back um, more or less a pretty good idea of whether or not they got what I was saying. I do that with yep. them too. I'll, I'll phrase it like, if I understand what you're saying and then kind of paraphrase what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and paraphrasing is such a great tool, too, because you can use it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's get into the picks. Eric, you want to start us off with picks? Sure. So this past week, I got a book. Uh, it's called Starting and Sustaining. Uh, it's an ebook about basically uh, building and launching like a software product, like a software as a service or something like that. Um, it's really great because it goes into detail about getting started, which is, you know, the first part of the title and then actually sustaining it. So not just, you know, getting to the launch, but getting past the launch, how to keep momentum up, how to keep your motivation up, that sort of thing. So it's a really great book. I'll have the link in the show notes. Um, the other good thing is it comes with actually like a, a profit and loss spreadsheet. So me having a big finance background, I jumped into that and started plugging in a bunch of numbers for some products I'm working on. And you can really quickly see how, you know, changing one variable, like the price of a plan will affect your bottom line. Or if you have to have, you know, support 2 million users at launch, how that's going to kill you on server costs and stuff like that. So it's a pretty good book. I read it. I'm going through the notes on it to try to pull out action items for myself. Cool. Uh, Ash, what are your picks? So I have two completely non-productive ones. Uh, my first one is my favorite Tumblr of the week, which is things fitting perfectly into other things. Which is basically uh, objects that, completely unrelated objects that fit well into other completely unrelated objects. Um, And it just really works with my OCD very well. I really love that one. And then the, um, the second unproductive one is Picard Tips, which is a Twitter account of Jean-Luc Picard as if he's like the manager at a company and talking about all of the, the ways that he runs the enterprise basically. Uh, and that one's awesome. really funny and I really like it. I love it. I absolutely love it. And then um, the third one is um, I'm rereading um, The Pragmatic Programmer from Journeyman to Master for Book Club. So uh, I always forget all the good stuff that's in there. So I'm, I'm really enjoying rereading that one. Yeah, that's a terrific book. All right. So I've got a couple of picks. The first one is uh, with the client that I've been working with. 
we had a few minutes, and so we started swapping uh, YouTube clips of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> and so I, I have to pick that movie because it is hilarious. If you've never seen it, go find five of your closest friends who have and watch it with them. Don't watch it by yourself. It's it's way funnier that way. And uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It is. It's a classic. <laughs> yeah. I, I I saw it for the first time in high school, and I watched it, and I was like, "This is the dumbest." freaking show i have ever seen and so I, I go to school and i'm telling my friends i'm like i'm like i can't believe you guys like that movie it was so stupid and they're like well who did you watch it with and i was like it was on tv i just watched it they're like no and no and so that night i was over at one of my friends house and we watched it you know like 10 of us together yeah then it was funny you know and, and then you're quoting it to each other for the next hour so anyway it's a terrific terrific movie the other pick that I have is something that I've been using for, um, and I might have picked this on the show before, but I'm not going to go look because I'm being lazy. Um, it's a system that I've been using to manage some of my uh, tasks, um, both for myself and for um, Ruby Rogues and for another venture that I'm involved in. It's called Asana. It's uh, oh, oh, I it has been picked on the show because the person who told me about it was Farnoosh Brock, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and she picked it. Anyway, um, I've, I've been using it, and I, I really, really like it. So um, if you're looking for a task manager where you can, like, share task lists and things, then, then this is a terrific one. And it has it has mobile apps and stuff, so it's really nice. And uh, that's those are my picks. Jen, what picks do you have for us? I have two, and they're uh, they're. Uh, hardcover, well, hard copy books, and I think they're also available in ebook format. One of them is called Fierce Conversations Achieving Success and Work in Life One Conversation at a Time by Susan Scott. And she just has some really great tips on uh, talking about things that we should be talking about. Uh, how to have hard conversations. Uh, she actually gives formulas for all different scenarios, and it's just a fantastic, fantastic book. One that you'll go back to over and over again. So there's that one. And then the other one is called The Simplicity Survival Handbook, 32 Ways to Do Less and Accomplish More by Bill Jensen. And he has a lot of uh, um, tips on everything from uh, productive meetings, how to run a meeting uh, in a productive way, um, how to uh, get your inbox to zero more efficiently. Um, there, there's just uh, numerous things, how to construct your emails in a more efficient way. Um, he's just got a lot of good things to talk about. So I enjoy both those books. Great. That's all I need is more books to read. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but yeah, sounds like good recommendations. Thanks for coming on the show, Jen. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, yeah, I guess we're done. We'll wrap this up. We'll catch you all next week.